This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We had been worried that this was going to happen for months and months. Tonight, renewed calls for action after a man is fatally attacked in Oppenheimer Park. Plus... The school is doing whatever the mob wants them to do. Outrage after UBC cancels a speaker allegedly due to threats. Why free speech advocates say it's unconstitutional and sets a frightening precedent. And... Helping out is what we do. As more Canadian crews prepare to leave for fire-ravaged Australia, the local Salvation Army joins the fight. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A search and rescue effort in the Nicola Valley outside of Merritt has ended in tragedy. A person trapped by an avalanche has died. Jordan Armstrong joins us live with the details. Jordan. Colleen, as you mentioned, one man has died. His companion survived the slide, which happened about 56 kilometers southwest of Merritt. RCMP were alerted to it over the noon hour, and late this afternoon they confirmed searchers have recovered a body. The avalanche came down near Cabin Lake, trapping one of two men who were snowmobiling in the area. The man who was not buried by the snow tried to locate his companion but was unsuccessful. Eventually, searchers flew to the scene by helicopter and found the body. No name has been released. The region is currently under a high avalanche risk. Heavy snow and wildly shifting temperatures have created an unstable snowpack across much of the south coast, stretching inland into the Nicola and Fraser Valleys, as well as in the Sea to Sky region. People are urged to stay out of the backcountry right now, and if you must venture out, use extreme caution. Colleen? Jordan, thank you. There is increasing alarm and frustration over the homeless encampment at Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park. Critics of the park board and the city insist something needs to be done now after a man died following an assault there on New Year's Day. But as Paul Johnson discovered today, those in the camp remain defiant. A man sorts through a pile of bikes Saturday after logging Vancouver's first homicide of the year, Oppenheimer Park feels as lawless and as dangerous as ever. Devastating. Trisha Barker is one of two Vancouver Park Board commissioners who have fought to close down the camp and move residents to housing whether they want to or not. We had been worried that this was going to happen for months and months. A homicide or an accidental death from someone trying to stay warm have been the fears of people like Barker and Mayor Kennedy Stewart. But so far, they've been vetoed by the park board majority, who oppose an immediate closure and want a solution based on First Nations reconciliation. This is all part of our truth-telling and looking at our history and the colonial uh, relationship with our First Nations. In the park Saturday, homeless activist Chrissy Brett challenged the idea that there's a safety problem here just because someone's been killed. 
when Surrey, there's a shooting in Surrey, do we have any calls for the people responsible for that shooting to have their neighborhood shut down because it's so dangerous? But just who is in charge of day-to-day -day public safety here? With City Hall pointing at the park board and the park board invoking reconciliation. Critics are telling Global News that it's actually the campers here who are really in charge. Elizabeth Slikanovich is raising her child in the neighborhood. She's fed up with the chaos and the inability of authorities to do anything about it. Why do the rest of us citizens actually have to suffer? Like, my kid can't even come play in a freaking park anymore because it's trashed. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A warning tonight from police in B.C.'s Peace Region about a Dawson Creek man considered armed and dangerous. Stacy Ray LaGlass is wanted on multiple warrants. The 32-year-old faces 21 charges and is accused of some extremely violent offenses, including aggravated assault, discharging a firearm with intent, kidnapping and robbery. LaGlass is Indigenous, stands 5 feet 6 inches tall and weighs about 185 pounds. He is known to carry firearms. If you see him, do not go near him, but call 911 immediately. A warning from Coquitlam RCMP about a patient who's wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for being unlawfully at large. Adam Ivan Gorges was reported missing Friday evening after failing to return to Colony Farm Forensic Institute. He's described as having long brown hair, hazel eyes, a mustache and beard. He's 5'10", weighs 174 pounds. He was last seen wearing a teal-colored toque, white shirt, black jacket and gold boots. Police say he may act in a way that could be a risk to himself or the public. It's the second time in less than a year he has not returned to Colony Farm. If you see Gorges, do not approach him. Instead, call 911. Members of a student club will sue the University of B.C. unless the cancellation of a controversial speaking event is reversed. The Free Speech Club had booked a campus venue to hear from an editor of a right-wing news site speak about anti-fascist violence. But as Nadia Stewart reports last month, the club found out the talk had been cancelled. What's going on here is essentially the heckler's veto. When Angelo Isidoro booked a conference room at UBC's Robson campus, he anticipated some concerns would be raised about safety. He's the director of the Free Speech Club. And they were planning an event at the end of January titled Understanding Antifa Violence with American journalist Andy No. Last June, No was violently attacked by Antifa protesters in Portland, Oregon. Antifa is short for anti-fascist. And No regularly reports on the loosely organized group who are known to dress in black and cover their faces. But No's talk in Vancouver is on hold for now after the venue, UBC, cancelled the booking, saying the event posed too great a risk to the school's community. Regardless of what people may think of my views and my writings and my reporting, um, it really is the death of academe if... Um, it does not protect the access to information. This is an Asian gay journalist who's center-right. We've hosted a lot more controversial people uh, comparative, but I think the school now is taking a new direction, which we find to be completely unconstitutional. 
Isidoro says in this case, they were not given the option to pay the additional cost for security. This is not the first time events seen as controversial were cancelled by the public venues booked to host them. In Vancouver, a talk by feminist currents Megan Murphy prompted the Vancouver Library to revise its policy, while SFU cancelled an event where she was featured as a panelist. In an email, UBC's chief security officer says the January 29th event posed an increased risk to students, faculty, staff and infrastructure. Isidoro says they have received anonymous threats, but he worries this is part of a growing trend. The moment my speech will make you go violent and hurt people, that's where we have a serious problem. Now the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms is threatening legal action. Acting on behalf of the Free Speech Club, they are calling on UBC to reverse its decision by January 10th. Nadia Stork, Global News. Vancouver firefighters had to force their way into a Kitsilano furniture store this morning to access a fire. A passerby spotted smoke coming from the store near West 8th and Burrard at around 7 o'clock this morning. Once inside, crews were able to quickly get the flames under control. Vancouver Fire and Rescue says it was caused by a chemical reaction from a rag used to stain furniture. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Officials say, though, it is a reminder that rags with wood stains or oils on them should be stored properly after use. An outdoor equipment store in Saanich was heavily damaged by a fire this morning. Saanich Fire says crews could see smoke and flames coming from the back of the building when they arrived at around 6.30 this morning. Again, no one was hurt, but there is extensive smoke and heat damage inside the building. No word yet on a cause. British Columbians are being encouraged to donate to Australia's bushfire fight. A major B.C. charitable organization says it will be collecting funds for disaster relief. As Jill Bennett reports, it comes as more Canadian fire crews head down under to help in the firefight. It could be a lot worse, right? They've been fighting fires in Canada for more than 30 years. Kind of a sense of adventure going that far away to fight fire. These firefighters from Manitoba answered the call for volunteers, committing to a 38-day deployment fighting fires raging in Australia. I'm pretty anxious about it. Uh, we're going into an area of dealing with fire fuels that we're not used to or accustomed to in Canada. Several highly specialized firefighters from Edmonton have also answered the call. Australia has been over here to Canada four separate times to help us when we needed it. And so I think people have been really proud to be able to do the same for them. From what I hear, I'll be uh, up in the air bird-dogging helicopters, bucketing and uh, air tankers as an air attack supervisor down there. Safe, guys. Thank you. Roger. Several BC firefighters are already in Australia, mainly in the New South Wales area, but ready to be deployed where they are needed the most. The Salvation Army is now accepting donations to help in the relief effort. Funds are the best way to help because the money can be transported from anywhere in the world to there. At this point, they are accepting cash donations only, but they say crews are also ready to head to the fire zone. We can send teams from across the country, but there certainly is a dedicated team that is ready to go at a moment's notice if they're needed in Australia. More fire crews will be leaving Monday, with deployments lasting up to 40 days. While the crews all have experience fighting major fires in Canada, they admit the intense heat will add to the challenge, but it's a challenge they couldn't turn down. Jill Bennett, Global News. And a report ranks WestJet as Canada's most punctual airline. A travel data provider's report placed the Calgary-based carrier sixth among North American carriers last year. 
It also lists WestJet as 15th among low-cost carriers worldwide, with 79% of its flights on time. Air Canada placed 20th among so-called mega airlines behind big, the big four U.S. carriers, as well as British Airways and Lufthansa. The report defines on-time performance as flights that arrive on depart or depart within 15 minutes of their scheduled times. BC Hydro says it has now restored power to more than half of the remaining customers who've been in the dark since a New Year's Eve snowstorm slammed the southern interior. But as Global Okanagan's Darian Matassa Fung reports, people living in the hardest hit areas, they're being warned to brace for a weekend without electricity. According to BC Hydro, 160,000 homes and businesses have lost power at some point since a snowstorm on New Year's Eve, and hundreds are still experiencing rolling power outages. How long have you been at without power for now? Since 8.30 this morning. This is due to after effects from the storm, such as fallen trees and heavy snow collapsing power lines. We have over 60 crews right now working in the southern interior to repair damage and restore power to our customers. These customers are mostly located in rural areas near Salmon Arm, Vernon and Sycamus. Some people that live in the areas that are often affected by power outages say they're used to these situations. I, I learned my lesson about 15 years ago and uh, got a little bit of backup power. BC Hydro says crews from all over BC are working around the clock to restore power. And in 16-hour days, the uh, kind of the limit that we can do in a 24-hour period. So various crews have been starting at different times, so it's been pretty much 24-7. And while the main storm has moved on, BC Hydro is expecting winds that could be problematic and says it's still bringing in more resources. The weather has been, has been the big one with the big dump of snow, so snow plows haven't been able to get into some of the places. So as far as access goes, even chained up. Our trucks are having a hard time. And while crews are working hard to restore power to as many customers as it can, BC Hydro is warning people in the hardest hit areas of the Shushwap to prepare for a full weekend of no electricity. Darian Matassafong, Global News, Enderby. A snowfall warning is in place for the Coquihalla between Merritt and Hope. Over the next 24 hours, between 20 and 30 centimeters is expected to fall on the route. Drive BC warns motorists that visibility may be reduced and expect hazardous driving conditions. Anyone planning to drive that stretch should check conditions before they go. 17 husky puppies surrendered to the BCSPCA late last month are now up for adoption. The 17 puppies, along with two adult dogs, arrived in a shelter on Christmas Eve. After receiving a complaint, RCMP and animal control officers found the dogs living outside in the snow on an interior property. If you're interested in giving any of the 9- to 11-week-old puppies a forever home, applications are being accepted online only through the Vernon and South Okanagan SBCA websites. Some frightening moments for a deer in Williams Lake that became entangled in a toboggan. A hiker came across the animal struggling to free itself and called the BC Conservation Service. Conservation officers used a snowmobile to race to the rescue. In a tweet on Friday, the service says the deer was tranquilized, cut free, and able to prance away unhurt. Well, now that Christmas and New Year's have come and gone, many families are carrying on another annual tradition, the chipping of the tree. 
The city of Vancouver is holding several tree chipping events today and tomorrow, including this one at the Kitsilano Beach parking lot. A reminder to remove all the decorations before recycling your tree. The Vancouver event benefits local charities. It's a good cause. We support the lions and it's also important to keep the neighborhood clean and not leave Christmas trees out. We have food donations that go to the food bank and we, uh, the monetary part of it, the money donations, go to local charities. For instance, Covenant House with the homeless youth and we support the battered women and uh, any local charity that is in need we're there for them. Win, win, win. Listen, speaking of winning, if you haven't checked your Lotto Max ticket for the last night's record jackpot, we can tell you right now you didn't win the $70 million because no one did. But eight of the 26 Max Million prizes worth a cool $1 million each were won. They'll be split among 13 winner, winning ticket holders, including one sold here in B.C. The next Lotto draw on Tuesday night will remain at $70 million with 25 Max Million prizes. Dramatic new developments are rocking an already unstable situation in the Middle East, including some shocking new video that might be disturbing to some of you. Reports suggest this is the explosion that killed Iranian General Qassem Soleimani in a targeted strike yesterday. And now, a new escalation in this dispute. This Unprecedented tweet from President Donald Trump threatening to hit culturally significant Iranian sites very fast and very hard if Iran retaliates for the general's killing. The UN has said intentionally targeting cultural sites can be considered a war crime. We have the latest from Richard Engel. The fallout has begun. Tens of thousands of mourners and protesters in Baghdad and Tehran shouted death to America and revenge after a U.S. drone strike killed Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani, and an Iraqi Shiite militia leader who was with him. The U.S. military denied multiple reports that it targeted the Shiite militias again last night in a second strike in Iraq. In Baghdad, the U.S. embassy was on pins and needles. For days, American aircraft have been patrolling above to see if protesters might storm the complex, Marines on guard inside. And around 3,000 more U.S. troops are heading to the region. Reinforcements from the 82nd Airborne Division heading out today. And this time, the conflict may not be limited to Iraq. Iran's president was only the latest official in his country to promise revenge against the United States. But where and when? The U.S. men's national soccer team postponed a training trip to Qatar, citing security reasons. Iran has a network of militias it can rely on and mobilize, from Lebanon to Syria, Afghanistan to Iraq. A shadow army of militias and guerrilla groups across the Middle East, now vowing to avenge their late leader at a time and place of their choosing. Anti-war protests took place across the U.S. today, this one outside Trump Tower in Manhattan. According to the organizers, the Trump administration's decision to kill the top Iranian general was designed to start a war, not stop one. Actress Jane Fonda, one of the speakers at the protest outside the White House today. Did we once again not learn the lessons of Vietnam, not bother to understand the people that we were shaming and insulting? Not to 
mention killing. And more now from Australia, where relentless wildfires are growing by the minute. They're threatening people, wildlife, and even impacting countries thousands of miles away. Tonight, strong winds and unstoppable flames. Fires on Kangaroo Island so powerful, they stir up fire twisters of their own. And close to Nowra, a bushfire jumped over the river, igniting a new blaze that triggered a warning to seek shelter or get out. We've got sprinklers set up on the roof. Donna and Jamie Duba are staying put, at least for now. We've covered all bases and we've got backup plans and safe zones. And if need be, if you have to leave, you'll leave. We'll get in the car and go. Yeah. Bushfires have burned more than 12 million acres here, an area 40 times the size of Los Angeles, spewing a smoky haze that's visible from space. Army reservists helping with evacuations and supplies. There's a very clear connection between global warming and wildfires and drought. An estimated half a billion animals have died. The lucky ones rescued and cared for at sanctuaries across the state. There's a little girl. You're amazing. Where orphaned wallabies, wombats and other wildlife can recover, but will struggle in habitats that are wiped out. Yes, pollution is a huge concern. Yes, it is. And the other thing is when they come out, there's no food around for them. No water, no food. On social media, celebrities are posting messages of support and pledging donations to local fire services with a long, hot summer ahead. There are nearly 200 fires burning now. The air is filled with smoke and ash. The forecast, though, is calling for cooler temperatures and the possibility of some much-needed rain. In Indonesia, the death toll from flooding has climbed to at least 60. <laughs> Rescue teams are struggling to search for survivors after landslides on the capital's outskirts buried at least a dozen people. The intense rain hit Jakarta on New Year's Eve, causing the worst flooding the area has seen in decades. Vogue is going rogue in hopes of reducing the magazine's carbon footprint. No photo shoot was required for Vogue Italia's first issue of 2020. Instead, the magazine covers and the feature, feature articles are all illustrated for the first time ever. The initiative is part of Vogue's goal to cut back on the environmental costs of travel, shipping and waste. The Italian team is putting the money saved towards restoring an historic Venice museum damaged by last November's floods. China has replaced its top official in Hong Kong after months of protests in the semi-autonomous city. Huai Ning has been appointed to the head of China's liaison office in Hong Kong. The department has come under fire for misjudging the growing unrest. Protest violence has eased somewhat in the past month, but there are still sporadic outbursts and clashes. Demonstrators are calling for greater democratic freedoms over fears of China's increased control over the territory. About 1,000 people rushed to a beach in New Zealand to help save a pod of pilot whales that had beached themselves. Seven dead whales and four living ones, including a calf, were found on the beach. Rescue workers acted quickly by pouring buckets of water on them to keep them cool. Pilot whales are usually a dark gray color with a saddle shape behind the fin. A sea turtle was returned to the ocean in Florida after being injured in a suspected shark attack. The loggerhead sea turtle was found on Boca Grand Beach last August. She was missing half of her front flipper. 
The lab's rehab coordinator thinks the injury was caused by a shark. A local lab helped nurse her back to health, giving her a clean environment and what's described as natural care. The turtle was released into the ocean today, fully recovered. In Health Matters, a review of dozens of medical studies is challenging current Canadian guidelines when it comes to the kind of milk children should drink. Researchers in Toronto looked at 28 studies that involved 21,000 children. It found that kids who drank whole milk were 40% less likely to become overweight or obese. Current pediatric guidelines say children should drink reduced fat milk starting at the age of two. The review found no clinical trials were conducted and included only observational studies. Until more detailed research is done, many doctors suggest parents need to feed their children a variety of food sources. U-Haul International plans to stop hiring smokers in 21 U.S. states. That includes those who use e-cigarettes and vaping products. The truck and trailer rental company's new policy goes into effect on February 1st. People hired before the policy goes into effect won't be affected. In each of those 21 states, it's legal not to hire those who use nicotine. The company says the change will help create a more healthy corporate culture while also decreasing health care costs. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Annual New Year celebration in Peru got out of hand. The frightening scene. We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. It might be a bit of a frightening scene if you're driving over the Coquihalla tonight. Yeah, we've had uh, up to 15 centimeters, still up to 5 and 10. If you are heading through that area, I'll have all your mountain passes in just a moment. We had a nice break through the day today. We're just in between systems, but the rain has picked up once again right across the south coast. We're seeing it across the island. It'll be heavy at times, evening, overnight, and for the morning hours on Sunday, but not a complete washout for tomorrow and I'll show you the reason why in just a moment. A quick glance of what we're seeing out of the airport rainfall six as the current temperature. It's windy out there sustained at 22 and gusts of up to 30 kilometers per hour. Now here's a glance how we progress through the morning hours. The rain will be heavy still for the morning and then by the afternoon mainly cloudy a chance of showers for the south coast and metro Vancouver. A bit of a break is on the way but the next system moving in for Monday Tuesday will be quite the soaker as many head back to work and school. A snowfall warning that is in effect continues for the north coast inland. This is including Stewart, 15 and up to 20 centimeters tonight, easing off towards the morning, and it should be much drier by the afternoon. A nice break is on the way. Rainfall totals by tomorrow evening, 10 and up to 15 for most areas, but then it's as we get into Monday and Tuesday, we'll see totals even getting over 50 millimeters, a few spots potentially over 100 millimeters, so keeping a close eye. Now, the Coquihalla has seen 15 centimeters tonight, an additional 5 and 10 centimeters. A snowfall warning is in effect. Here's a quick glance at the Rogers Pass. What it looks like in the Kootenai Pass before you head out on the roads. Do check in with drivebc.ca for the latest conditions. An additional 5 and up to 10, so that's the Coquihalla Hope to Merit. Rogers Pass could still see up to 15 centimeters. Kootenai up to 10. Allison Pass lesser amounts, 4 and up to 8 centimeters. And the Pine Pass ranging between 2 and up to 4 centimeters. Very chilly for the northeastern corners. The P 
east overnight. The wind chill at minus 27. The winds are going to ramp up gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour and then snow moving in Monday night and continuing through the day on Tuesday. Chilly for Whitehorse. Wind chill at minus 29, so closer to minus 30. There is the risk of frostbite and the winds are going to be breezy tomorrow. Southerly up to 30 kilometers per hour. Most areas along the north coast, it's closer to the water. It's rain mix with snow inland near Stewart. 10 and up to 15 centimeters with the snowfall warning that is in effect and it'll still be wet snow looking ahead on Monday. Most areas for the Caribou and Central Interior, wet snow or that transition for tomorrow. Winds picking up southerly up to 50 kilometers per hour. Columbia and Kootenai will still see an additional 4 and up to 8 centimeters and snow and heavy at times on Monday before it changes back over to rain on Tuesday and the Thompson Okanagan. Most of the flurry activity or showers will pick up once again for the afternoon with the winds and gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Whistler, if you're traveling along the Sea to Sky, it's closer to uh, Squamish, rather, or just above Squamish that will see two and up to four centimeters wet snowfall. And the island, it is going to be windy tomorrow, ramping up, especially if you're closer to the water. Our five-day forecast tomorrow, the winds also across Metro Vancouver, 10 and up to 20 millimeters for most areas. It leaves off by the afternoon, a bit of a break, Colleen, with a chance of showers, and then the next round of rain moving in for Monday, Tuesday. Back to you. Happy to see any of those little sunshines yeah. you got there. <laughs> Great. You Thank are. you. Okay, a warning. This next video is pretty graphic and maybe disturbing to some of you. A New Year's tradition in Peru involving a bull. The traditional New Year's festival saw many men staring down danger as the bull rampages through the crowd. Local media reported several people were injured after being picked up and, well, as you can see, tossed around like ragdolls by the angry bull. Amazingly, no one died during this event. Crowds can be heard laughing and cheering. This New Year's Day festival, which draws massive crowds, also included a tasting of local dishes and traditional dances. Yeah, it's funny if you're not the guy getting yes. tossed by the bull, but right. I guess it's entertainment. Maybe they've had a couple of drinks, the people who are with the bull. Perhaps. That is my maybe, guess. Maybe it doesn't hurt so much. It doesn't hurt so much. Yeah. The next morning you go, what did I do? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, do you top that, Barry. I I, I'm good with the bull, but <laughs> different kind. Uh, lots going on tonight. Canucks and the Rangers. It's a rematch of the 94 Cup final, so it's on their 50th of the year in the NHL. Canucks calling it 90s night. They're wearing their old uh, black jerseys that they wore during the Cup, so we'll have a preview of that. And World Juniors Canada. Looking real good. About a week ago when they played the Russians and they got thumped, everyone was a little worried about them. But since then, doing their own thumping. sometimes a little thumping is good for you. Right? Yeah. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> All right, Barry's here with a look at sports. And before you start, I just want to uh, shout out to uh, Bowen Byram's family. Uh, he was He's a, a Vancouver giant mm -hmm. who was playing for Team Canada at the World Juniors. And he caught a bug and he is down for the count. So mm -hmm. what a disappointment because yeah. he's been so great for he the has team been. up until now. Like, yeah, didn't play today. No. We'll see if he can go tomorrow. I would think if he can, if he can keep anything down. Exactly. He will play. <laughs> Every Canadian kid would love a chance. All right, thanks, Colleen. Ever since Canada was humbled 6-0 by Russia in their second game of the tournament, the Canadians have absolutely rolled at the World Juniors. Since that loss, which was the most lopsided for Canada in World Junior history, they have gone 4-0, outscoring their opponents 22-4. Included in that total, Canada's 5-0 dismantling of the Finns in today's semifinal. Alexi Lafreniere looked great in his return last game after injuring his knee in that loss to Russia. Canada that came ready to play. Just a minute 48 in, Connor McMichael snaps one top shelf. That made it 
1-0 Canada, and then 76 uh, seconds later, they go up 2-0. A beautiful play by Nolan Foote. Fakes the shot, slides it over to Lafreniere, who sticks the backhander under the bar. Lafreniere is showing why he will likely be the number one overall pick next June. The Finns call a timeout to settle things down, but it didn't work. Less than a minute later, defenseman Jamie Drysdale. Slick move here, fires it in. Three goals in a 2.07 span. Drysdale, also draft eligible, expected to go in the top 10. 3 nothing Canada. But they weren't done yet. Finns really scuffling. They bumble this play in front. Ty Del- Delandria will knock in the loose puck. Canada led 4 nothing after one. They just game-managed the rest of the way. Alexi Lafreniere adds another on the power play with a bullet wrister. Canada looking very strong. Hammer Finland 5-0, and Canada advances to tomorrow's gold medal game. Now, earlier in the other semi, Russia and Sweden, and a key point in this game, early first, tied at one, Canucks second-round pick Nils Hoglander with the tournament scoring leader thrown out of the game for this hit to the head. And... Hard to say if he'll be suspended. May not be able to play tomorrow either. Sweden still led 4-3 mid-third, but the Russians tie it. Igor Sokolov going short side there, 4-4. In overtime, Ivan Morozov with the dangle of his life. Post and in, great goal. So Russia will play Canada for gold tomorrow, 10 a.m. our time. Canada looking to avenge that 6-0 loss to the Russians earlier in the tournament. The Canucks are hoping it'll be lucky seven tonight against the Rangers as they look to run their win streak to seven for the first time since 2013 when they did it with John Tortorella behind the bench. That season didn't turn out so well, but the Canucks have shown they can win in a lot of ways. They scored seven goals the other night versus Chicago and have the second most goals in the West behind only Colorado. Uh, there's a lot of good players here, and uh, they can make plays, and uh, there's a lot of great players that go to the net hard as well, and uh, uh, it's, a bit, it's a really good combination of the ball that uh, will be successful, and we're going to keep going on that. NHL today, Oilers and Bruins. Oilers beginning the day a point behind the Canucks. They were down 1-0 in the second, but Jake DeBrusque, the egregious Pass across his own net, fanned on it, and Gaetan Haas made him pay. 1-1, then late in the second, Darnell Nurse from a sharp angle squeezes it through Yarrow Halak. That's a bad goal. 2-1. Oilers will take it, though. Then early in the third, this one isn't a bad goal. Zach Cassian spins and feeds Connor McDavid, who snaps it in for his 23rd of the year. And the Oilers go into Boston and shock the Bruins 4-1. Jets and Wild, Winnipeg in the wild card chase, as well as uh, in that... Crowded Western Conference, second period, tied at one. Jets take the lead on the power play. Kyle Connor to Blake Wheeler for the one-timer. 2-1 Winnipeg, but Minnesota tied it. Then in overtime, got a power play. And then this controversial goal poked in by Eric Stahl. Zach Parise clearly bumps Connor Hellebuck, but after review, they said that he was pushed into the goalie by a Jet defenseman, so the goal stands. Paul Maurice doesn't believe that it did, but the Wild take the 3-2 win. Blues and Golden Knights, Vegas leading the Pacific by four points over the Canucks, but have played three more games than Vancouver. Vegas overcame a 3-0 deficit to lead 4-3, but David Perron ties it on a power play, so we need overtime. In OT, Chandler Stevenson with the steal. Long breakaway, the length of the ice, little fake, and five-hole. Great move to beat Jake Allen, and the Golden Knights win it. 5-4 in overtime. And we've got the Leafs and the Islanders. Toronto 14-4-1 since firing Mike Babcock and hiring Sheldon Keefe. Second period, no score. 
But what a move by Kasperi Kapanen to set up Pierre Engvall. The Swede makes it 1-0 for Toronto. And then a few minutes later, Austin Matthews with the nifty deflection in front right there for his 28th. 2-0 Toronto. They win it 3-0. Justin Bieber, part of the Leaf Nation tonight. Welcome back. The Seahawks' road to the Super Bowl will be on the road this year, and maybe that's not a bad thing. Seattle won seven of their eight road games, including one in Philadelphia earlier this season. They're back to play the Eagles tomorrow, undermanned at running back, but with Russell Wilson at the helm looking to keep the season alive. We get more from Chanel in the red zone. Don't let the Eagles' four-game winning streak fool you as the teams they beat were a combined 19-45. and 45. And Philly is hurting, already dealing with injuries. Even core, now they're without their top guard, Brandon Brooks. And running back Miles Sanders is also hurt, which means the run game could be in trouble. As for the defense, 10th best overall and 3rd best against the run, allowing just 90 yards a game. During this win streak, Carson Wentz has thrown seven touchdowns and zero interceptions. But in the loss to the Seahawks in week two, Wentz threw two picks and the Eagles turned the ball over five times. Now the Hawks are number three with 32 takeaways during the regular season. And of their 11 wins, Seattle won the turnover battle eight times. When the Hawks beat the Eagles earlier this season, they racked up 174 rushing yards. But Penny and Carson are out, so it will be up to Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer to establish that ground attack. Now, Seattle did run for 125 yards versus San Fran, so keeping it on the ground is still the game plan. Now, the Hawks were number four when it came to rushing during the regular season. Injuries continue to hurt this team as linebacker Michael Kendricks is out after blowing his ACL last week. But the good news is Quandre Diggs, the safety, who didn't play last week, could return Sunday, which would give the secondary a big boost. For Seattle to move on, Russell Wilson has to play like the playoff quarterback we've seen in the past. In 13 postseason games, he has 22 touchdown passes. He's 4-0 versus the Eagles all-time and has never lost three straight games during his NFL career. But since entering the league, Wilson is 2-5 in road playoff games. All right, AFC wildcard today, Bills and Texans. J.J. Watt back in the lineup for Houston after going what they thought was season-ending shoulder surgery, but he made it back for this playoff game, a big boost to Houston, who were down 16-0 at one time, but roar back to Sean Watson, to Carlos Hyde, 19-16 Texans. The Bills, though, with the chance to tie in the dying seconds. Steven Hauschka, the former Seahawk, from 47 yards, which is not a good number for Bills fans. If you remember Scott Norwood missing a 47-yarder to win a Super Bowl many years back. Tied it at 19. We need overtime in OT. Deshaun Watson looks like he's uh, going to get sacked. We don't see that. He somehow escapes the sack, and that would lead to this game-winning field goal by Kaimi 
Fairbairn and the Texans beat the Bills 22-19 in overtime. In the other AFC wildcard right now, Patriots playing their first wildcard game since 09. They've had first round buys since then. Titans under Ryan Tannehill giving them a tough test. Anthony Ferkser with the touchdown, 7-3 Tennessee. Patriots answer though, Tom Brady with the handoff to Julian Edelman. New England led 10-7, but it is now 14-13 Tennessee very late in the first half. NBA tonight, Raptors and Nets from Brooklyn. Toronto coming off a sluggish loss in Miami. Better energy tonight though, Fred Van Vliet with the three-pointer. Raptors have the lead. Very odd visual with that bizarre gray floor in Brooklyn. Backcourt partner Kyle Lowry also ripping cord from deep. 88-83 Toronto. Back to Van Vliet as he will drive. Tough shot and gets that floater to go. Van Vliet with a game-high 29 points. So Lowry right there with him as he hits the dagger three here. Lowry had 26. Raptors outscored Brooklyn 73-50 to in the second half. Cruise to the 121-102 win. They're now 24-12 on the season. And tennis from Australia, the ATP Cup, a new team event this year, kind of like the Davis Cup, I guess, but it's a regular event. Canada beat Greece in their opening match the other day, taking on the host Aussies today. Felix Ojealiasim taking on John Millman in singles. Felix ranked 21st in the world. Nice winner here, but dropped the opening set to the 48th-ranked Millman 6-4. Millman playing well in front of the home crowd. Great point here. Back pedals for the uh, overhead. Open court for Felix, but hits the net court, and that's an easy put away for Millman, who won the match in straight sets. Shapovalov and Alex Domino are, are playing right now, and Canada needs to win to advance onto the quarterfinals. So a new team event. Fun to watch. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, Bear. Here's a look at your snow report. 33 new centimeters for Whistler Blackcomb. Cypress with a base of 138 and 5 new centimeters for Sasquatch. Manning Park, 43 new centimeters, 4 for Revelstoke, 5 Fernie, and 10 for Kicking Horse. Big White, 2 new centimeters, Apex 4 with a base of 117. 8 new centimeters for Mount Washington, 2 for Whitewater, Red Mountain with a base of 111, and 28 new centimeters for Powder King. Okay. This is a story that had me kind of confused when I first heard about it. Twins born in Indiana this week will have some explaining to do when they get a little bit older. It turns out they weren't born on the same day or even the same decade. Concerns about lack of fetal movement sent Don Gilliam to the hospital on New Year's Eve. At 11.37 p.m., she delivered Jocelyn at 4 pounds 11 ounces. We've known for a while that she was going to be born first. She's been in position for most of the pregnancy. Um, yeah, most of the pregnancy she's been in position first. Of course, he was breached, so it took a while for him to come. Little brother Jackson arrived at 12:07 a.m. on New Year's Day at four pounds five ounces. Still kind of overwhelmed. Earlier we talked about you know it'd be great to have him born in different dates, you know, but here we are to this surprise and different dates, different years. That was definitely uh, interesting for sure for us. Um, again, that's we're still kind of speechless still. Very shocked. Mom is still doing double takes as a reality reminder. I guess it doesn't click that, wow, you know, we had two babies. And then I'm like, wow, <laughs> there's actually two. Mom said it twice. After all, she delivered twice in two different years, two different decades. Both twins are on feeding tubes and may be in the hospital for a little while, but otherwise doing well. 
Oh, they're so <laughs> cute. I guess the only way you could beat that would be uh, a century or a millennium baby. Maybe maybe oh, there is no a 1999-2000. I bet there are. Possibly. I bet there are. Write into us. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> If you're one, yes. let us know. Um, okay, let us know one last time about what we should be looking forward to or worried about. It's going to be wet and windy this evening and into the morning for Sunday, but by the afternoon it should ease up to showers, and then the real soaker is actually going to push in for Monday, Tuesday. Everybody heading back to work and school mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when we'll see some of the juicier storms. But uh, unsettled, especially as we get in towards uh, tomorrow morning. And a little bit of snow on the coke tonight. Yes, oh, absolutely. My goodness. Okay, thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11.